0: You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. friends, welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil Vestal, and I'm super excited that you've joined us today as we look to make space for the spirit. Today, I got to interview Dr. Steve McMullen from Hope College. Now, I'm super excited to bring him on the podcast because he's an economist. And you might be thinking, an economist, what's that have to do with making space for the spirit with spiritual disciplines? And it turns out quite a bit. So throughout the Bible, God shares how important justice is, that our actions towards others matter, even so much so that when God is describing spiritual disciplines through the prophet Isaiah, he says that the fast he desires is one where we free those who are captive, basically when we participate in justice. And so in today's episode, Steve walks us through some basics of economics, especially around consumption, about trade, about the environment and animals, super easy to understand No matter whether you know a lot about economics or absolutely nothing, and then sort of guides us into a discussion around how the questions we ask, the ways that we consider how our actions affect others, shape our hearts in the ways that we love God and love others. He's really talking about space making not just mindset, but actions. And so I think this is the perfect episode as we're talking about making space for the spirit. It's super practical. It's very encouraging and challenging. And I'm just thrilled with how it turned out. So whether or not you know anything about economics, I believe this episode can pay dividends for you in your life in general, as you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we jumped into the conversation, we bumped the table a couple times. So forgive us for a few thumps. There's only a couple. They don't really get in the way. But But otherwise, brothers and sisters, I'm so excited to share with you how to make space for the spirit, how to increase our awareness, how to increase our presence, how to ask the right questions and how to be the type of people who are holistic in the way we live in the creation. So sit back, relax and enjoy this interview with Steve McMullen. Do I call you Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's you, weird now that you know. Used to be oh, Professor you know, McMullen. The
1: moment you graduate, I become Steve. We haven't had to had to deal with that yet. But some of my students, it's pretty abrupt. and, yeah, and jarring. It yes. is. You can you can introduce me as, um, you know, with last name and title or something like that if you want. But you're okay. gonna have to call me Steve. Otherwise, <laughs> that'd be weird because you're a pastor, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: right? kind of in a different part. day and
1: age, I'd be calling you Reverend. Right. You'd have hierarchy. You'd be higher me.
0: Yeah, or some of the some of my friends joke and call me father because they know I'm not Catholic, right? But they then do that. So, um, well, thank you so much for coming on. I've been really excited to have you on for a while, and here we are at Hope College. And uh, am, uh, you're sure I'm safe here as a Calvin now Calvin University student, previous student.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I think you're probably safe. Okay. School isn't in session yet, and we aren't advertising your presence. So okay. as long as we stay <laughs> hidden here. Good. The the football team will not come after you.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, I I am really excited to have you on. Thank you. Um, I was hoping we could kind of start by you just sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll jump in.
1: Cool. Uh, I mean, I'm a professor of economics here at Hope College. Obviously, I used to ta- teach at Calvin, which is where I met Phil. Um, I have um, I have a lot of things that I like to do. Uh, number one, of course, is teaching, and I love to teach economics in part because uh, when you have a room full of, of eager students you get to uh, You get to not just introduce the technical stuff But you also get to paint the discipline uh, as a way for us to be moral people and to think about politics and Consumption and work and all these kinds of things that are that are kind of central to our lives In ways uh, that help us make the world a better place and be better people uh, Which is uh, one of the things I think we're going to talk about today, but, but I love that part of my job
0: and then you're an editor as well, right? Of
1: yeah. So when journal. I'm not when I'm not teaching, I'm I'm writing a lot. So I've um, I've worked on a couple of books and lots of articles and whatnot. Uh, but I'm also an editor of a journal, and that's the Journal of Faith and Economics, which is one of the uh, the few scholarly outlets for people writing about Christian faith and economic issues together. Uh, and it's been around for. Uh, like 30 years or so I just took it over I'll try not to ruin it (laughs) I'm sure that's my main goal
0: (laughs) so so some people who are used to hearing our podcast know that um Rua space being spirit making space for the spirit are used to things like dear divina meditation prayer um other specifically ministry things and so they might be thinking an an economist like what are (laughs) we you know what are we talking about here now now I got an economics minor and so for me I, I've been taught to sort of integrate that thinking, but um, for you especially, how what do those look like, and um, how does your faith play into that? Because I think that actually it might be even bigger than some people think, even even within spiritual disciplines themselves.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you know, we are trained to think about economics and and, and business and economic life as kind of this this separate realm. So we can, be, we can be good spiritual Christian people, and then what we do when we're buying and selling things just doesn't really matter. And I think that's one of the first mistakes Christians make. Um, and it's the easy mistake to make for reasons that we can talk about. Um, but it's a mistake in part because so much of the way in which we interact with other people, so many of the actions we take that have a real impact on, on the lives of people around us are economic. Right? It's jobs, it's buying and selling, um, and, and of course it's politics. And all of these things are areas where we should try really hard to be thoughtful Christians and to love our neighbor uh, in careful ways. Now the problem, of course, is that economics is a technical discipline. So knowing how to love our neighbor well uh, when we're buying and selling and working, uh, this is hard. Uh, and, and this is one of the reasons why I love a pastor with a minor in economics, right? That's, that's beautiful. It warms my heart because uh, we need Christian leaders that are willing to think a little past the surface so that we can, we can learn to do that part of our lives well.
0: Yeah, well, how frequently throughout the Bible does God say, Stop bringing your songs to me take care of the poor right or the prophets saying you know don't worry about sacrifices but let justice roll or even i was reading in isaiah and for people who listen to our fasting episode know god is like the fast that i call is to free those in slavery to be just and uh, so throughout scripture god seems to say i identify with the poor i identify with those who struggle And of course economics isn't only about Justice for the poor, but God seems to care deeply about how our choices and how we live our lives impacts
1: other people. It's really true. I, sh- I should mention uh, just yesterday in church, my pastor was preaching on Habakkuk, which is, I think, the first <laughs> time ever I've had to. Uh, I'm sorry to all past pastors. I've had, I've had to actually open the Bible to the to the Book of Habakkuk, and there's a really wild passage right in the middle of that short book uh, about the rich being evil and the way they were using their power to, to oppress others. Uh, and God had some choice words for, <laughs> in this case, abuse of economic power, which is yeah. common in the prophets. And so that's one thing that we, we need to always be careful of, particularly those of us that are, uh, that are more wealthy, right, as most of us in the United States are, and um, other parts of the richer uh, parts of the world, um, because it's a constant biblical theme.
0: Absolutely. Well, so how has this played out for you as you study economics? I mean, I know you've written books about animals. You're writing a book now about capitalism, correct, or coming
1: up? Uh, yeah, so I, have, um, uh, I, so I have a book about animals and the economy. I have a, We have a book coming out about um, computers in Christian schools technology yeah, and technology in Christian perfect. schools, which is… Kind of a different thing, different topic, but very, very cool. And then I'm just starting work on uh, a book about redistribution of wealth, and it'll be a debate book in which two, both of us are Christians, uh, although I'm not sure we're going to be doing theology, but we're going to be arguing about um, whether or not the government should tax the rich and give to the poor, this kind of stuff. Sure so it'll be fun.
0: So what has this meant for you in your walk of economics? Like what have been some things that have surprised you? Maybe some things where you say, I wish more people would consider that this is true. Not like an opinion necessarily, but when, as I've studied, as I've looked at the numbers, as I've looked at the real, because economics is a lot about relationships, right? I mean, I remember running these regressions and different things following from other actions. So for you, if there was something where you were to say, hey, this is how our world works,
1: something we should look a little, closer at you know the thing that that I mean it's on my mind today and part because of the conversation we're having is is that there's so many ways in in our economic life this is close to what I mentioned before in which uh, we've built up a system that allows us to engage in everyday life without really paying close attention to the impact of our actions on those nearby and Sometimes the, the issue is that those that we're interacting with just are not nearby, right? So part of the problem is is the fact that we're trading with people all over the world uh, all the time. Every time we go to Meijer or Walmart uh, or, or Target, anytime we're buying sort of normal consumer goods when we're not even thinking about it because we're on autopilot, we're probably interacting with folks in five or six different countries mm. that we're contributing the components and the packaging and the materials and whatnot that went into that thing we're buying. Now let's think about what that means. If we want to be Christians and we want to love our neighbor and we want to do that even in the mundane parts of our life, that means uh, it's going to be really hard for us to pay attention to whether or not we're helping or we're hurting when the other person that we're interacting with ind- indirectly might be, uh, you know, 4,000 miles away. Yeah, they're completely hidden. It, you, totally. And so all of the ways, if, if you think back to like a, a traditional community that's small and not globally connected, it would be easy to realize if you were buying something from somebody who was oppressing their workers, for instance. That would be easy to see because they would be five blocks down the road if there were blocks. <laughs> you'd right? know Depend- them both. Yeah. Right, you'd know, you'd be <laughs> like, okay, right, this person is not being just to that person. And then you could make decisions as a consumer. You could say, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna buy from that guy. I'm mean, gonna give him a piece of my mind, I'm gonna go buy from the guy next door in the market. Um, if indeed there was another guy in the market. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and that same dynamic operates. We still try to sometimes you know, buy the fair trade coffee uh, or you know, buy the organic produce or avoid um, purchasing from a company that just had a scandal and we realized that you know, they were doing something nasty. But right, we only, we only get that in a few instances. And a lot of the time, we just don't know. We're not connected enough uh, to know the impact of our actions. Uh, and I think this is, this is a challenge for Christians. Um, but I would, I'd like to note right away, of course, that the flip side is uh, a huge blessing for the entire world, which is that we are interacting with people all over the world in ways that help them and help us. Part of what makes us wealthy, part of what's lifting up poor people all over the world, is our ability to trade with each other. So we have this kind of really, really ugly dilemma in which uh, interacting with people all over the world really is good for everyone. Um, complications aside for the moment yeah and it's limiting our ability to to have that kind of accountability that we sort of want there to be um, and and we could talk examples but uh, but that's this is I think uh, this is a primary challenge and one that I'm wrestling with a lot
0: yeah I've my wife and I've thought about that a lot I think one of our projects, actually, at Calvin was going to a store and looking at the labels of where so many things were made and kind of having that same dilemma of, especially now, you know, as a pastor, I don't make a lot of money. So on the one hand, It's like I need to provide for my kids. I need to be able to afford things. And then, on the other hand, uh, one of my favorite books is the book of Revelation. And it's very much about not being a part of the empire. (laughs) And so, in Revelation 18, you know, God says, Come out of her, my people, so you don't. Partake in the sins, and and merchants are mentioned as one of the big issues. And so I, I I weigh these two dilemmas of I can't always afford the thing. I know where it's made or that it was made locally by someone. And on the other on the other side, there is a responsibility of Hey God, you're so great. I praise you. I worship you. I love my neighbor. But then I'm going to buy things in a way that is harming someone, but I'm mean, gonna ignore it because I don't see it, I don't wanna know about it. So that's a hard dilemma.
1: And it gets even worse. Can I complicate uh, it? Oh, thank you, there's, great. There's yeah. like two complications. <laughs> uh, one of the complications here is that um, we can't just withdraw from global trade Um, because we can't assume that when we're buying something made in China that it's actually hurting somebody in China. It might be helping them like nine times out of ten the person is way better off they're really happy for the job it's way better than the alternatives right they're doing they're creating a really good product Um, you know all the Chinese government things notwithstanding the so so the default uh, assumption probably usually is that trade is helping it's that a whole bunch of these cases it's not so the simple solution That we just like withdraw into a little community, don't trade with anyone else. I don't think that's the right one. Mm -hmm. Another complication: uh, once we once we live in this world with millions and millions of products available all the time, right? Our consumption list is not right, or our shopping list is not ten items every week, right? It's much longer than that. We kind of get trained not to ask these questions about what's going on behind the product, even for things that are local. Mm. right I mean if you very few of us know what's going on in the businesses within 50 miles around our house because those businesses are not trading directly with us they're probably producing stuff for the whole country but we've created a system which makes it hard to know what's going on in the economy which trains us as people not to ask questions yeah right and it's that it's that training that kind of practice that puts us in a position where as consumers it's not our job uh, our, our only job is to figure out which products are cheaper, a higher quality, more stylish. Right? These visible things are the things we pay attention to. And over a lifetime of shopping this way, we get to the point where it doesn't even make sense to ask the question, even when we could. Mm. Uh, and and this, this here, the economics is starting to create a culture, and it's a ch- culture that the church could lean against. Right? I'm not sure it's our top priority, but it's something that we could think about. What does that look like
0: then? What does that sort of response kind of look like?
1: You know, it, it, the problem of course is that it's hard because there's so many things, right? The, a solution probably would look something like um, people getting together and saying, we're gonna, we're gonna care about a whole category of goods and we're gonna do research, we're gonna hold firms accountable, we're gonna be careful about what we buy, we're gonna share information with one another. Um, we're going to buy locally when we think that will help. Um, all right, that's a lot of work, right? You start <laughs> you start doing the research for one thing, and you realize that tracing a supply chain is really complicated. Yeah, firms that are running the supply chains have a hard time holding the suppliers <laughs> that are supplying their suppliers accountable, right? Like yeah. you go more than one or two steps down the supply chain. Uh, I'm using um, businessy terms. All right, so supply chain just means, you know, you start with the raw materials like iron and coal, and then they get sent to another firm that is refining them, and that goes to another firm that's that's turning them into a component, which goes to another firm that's making a piece of a car, which goes to the car manufacturer, which goes yeah. to the dealer. All right, All the little parts go yeah. way back
0: to when they get pulled out of the right. earth or whatever. That so
1: when you buy the car, you're interacting with... Thousands of companies. Yeah, and you know even General Motors, as big and as well run as they usually are, have a hard time tracing how all of the components are made. Yeah, Um, because it's it's complicated. So as a consumer, it's even harder. Um, That is, that's a real challenge. So we can we can we can say, hey, wouldn't it be neat if we keep track of this? (laughs) But let's not pretend it's you know that's a Saturday project. It's not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And. And so that's uh, that's a real issue. That said, there are some areas where we can know something about what's going on and some people have already done work for us and we can we can sort of move in the right direction. Uh, So I like to use the example of fair trade coffee, not because I think it's the best example of injustice that's being corrected through a consumer movement or anything like that but it's an easy one and it's one in which Um, there are certifying bodies that travel around the world they examine what's going on coffee farms they put a stamp of approval that says uh, this coffee uh, is gonna be a little more expensive but the farmers are getting some um, additional compensation so that you know they're being they're being treated more fairly perhaps Uh, and and that's that's a model that's not a bad model Um, There's a lot of problems with it Um, the markup on your fair trade coffee a lot of it doesn't go to the farmers. A lot of it goes to the company selling the coffee and that they know that if you're willing to pay more for fair trade coffee, that they can, they can double <laughs> that margin. Right. So they're, like, most of the margin on a fair trade cup of coffee is not going to the farmer, it's going to the, the company mm-hmm. selling you the coffee. But, um, but that notice what's going on there. What's, what's happening there is that somebody's stepping in and they're facilitating an exchange of information that the consumer and the producer would have a hard time, um, sort of sending or receiving themselves. So, without the fair trade folks, it'd be impossible for consumers to communicate with coffee farmers. It'd be impossible for the farmers, in their position, to communicate to the consumers. And so, this this communication problem or this information problem is at the root of what makes this kind of consumption difficult. So, the fair trade certifying bodies are. Uh, They're basically just just sharing information, but it's really valuable information if you care about this stuff And there's lots of other places that do that too. So we can we can form uh, Organizations that that keep track of this stuff and we can make use of the information that's out there uh, For those markets that we really care about makes sense Uh, it's I mean it's that's the low-hanging fruit, right. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know there's lots of organizations even that look
0: into clothing and uh, shoes and other other places where we can look and say, may not be perfect, but it's potentially a step in the right direction of making sure what I'm purchasing is at least, hopefully, <laughs> going on the right track a little better. Um, so maybe this will be a complete swing. Um, but I think it's something that while I have you, I want to make sure we can maybe touch on a little bit is how this economics works around food. So we've talked some about material goods that come from all over the world. And of course, food can come from all over the world too. But a lot is done in the United States when you're talking about milk or meat or other things. Um, and so I feel like this could be a many-hour conversation about you know whether we should eat meat at all or you know I eat meat. Um, I, I, you're a vegetarian, correct?
1: Uh, I try to be vegan, okay, as best I can. Uh, we can talk about why, uh, but I'm not super dogmatic about it. So if sure. um, if I'm over at someone's house and they make me, a, yeah, a milkshake, I might I might eat or drink some of it or something of the sort, but. But yeah, I'm, I'm almost always succeeding in being vegetarian and, and I do my best to be vegan.
0: So then maybe one of the things, so we can look at, okay, some of our bigger purchases and either pay attention as much as we can to maybe where it's coming from, be aware of um, policies maybe that are helping or hurting certain people. Um, there's some basic things we can do to say, hey, you know, this isn't just about me getting the cheapest product. Yeah. But if there's truly something that is going to, bring justice to everyone involved even if it's just a measure of a tiny step in that direction even if it's going to cost us there's a call to sort of do that but food is probably one of the main areas where maybe we can each individually make a difference in how we consume environmentally which then of course has a justice issue for people as well but even in and of itself it is a stewardship of creation issue um so I feel like there's a million directions we could go with that, but what does that sort of bring up for you, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think in light of our conversation, there's a couple of things I'd say there. Um, one is that, um, well, I, I, I choose not to eat meat for, for lots of different reasons. The big ones are, are the ones you've mentioned. Um, and one is the way we treat animals, um, and that is just that, Uh, we have over the last hundred years found ways to produce meat that is more and more efficient so we're able to buy meat and eggs and cheese uh, and milk a lot cheaper adjusted for inflation than a hundred years ago and that's a huge blessing for folks who have a hard time avoiding you know a good nutritious um, dinner for their kids and whatnot but the flip side is is most of I shouldn't say most but a lot of those efficiency gains have come by creating systems that that uh, don't treat animals well. It's not just the slaughter of animals, it's raising of animals from beginning to end. The animals are more likely living in pretty unnatural, barren environments um, and treated in ways in which they aren't able to live anything like the lives that they were created to live. All right, so that that disturbs me as a Christian and for, for most of my life it didn't uh, frankly because I, I loved, still do love meat um, and so don't ask questions. But when I started reading about it I started to realize that uh, for reasons that are, very, that are sort of very closely connected to my Christianity, uh, God created the world um, with a purpose. He created uh, animals and plants in a way in which they can worship him, in their, in their own way, in ways that are mysterious to me perhaps. I don't quite understand how flowers and birds worship God, but I think I can get a sense. And, and I figure if God created the world uh, to glorify him, then the, the things we're doing with the earth sometimes are getting in the way of that. That's my instinct at least. Uh, and then of course the environmental consequences of a lot of these industries are really significant and we could just use a lot fewer resources, water and carbon at the top of the list uh, if we ate more plants and ate less, um, ate less meat and dairy. Um, and then the last one is health reasons. And, um, and a lot of people I know are eating less meat for health reasons, I think that's legit too. That, that one's a little bit more personal because diet uh, work, concerns are different for different people. But you take all those together and this, this creates kind of a perfect storm for some of these consumption um, issues. And um, there's lots of ways in which our purchase of food, which happens regularly, like I, I buy clothes once a year, I buy a car once a decade, but I buy food constantly. Yeah. Right, and so these are choices we're making so habitually and so automatically, this is one of those places where we can train ourselves to make slightly different choices, and it's a little easier um, to, to build good habits, right, as opposed to sort of the, sort of the big weighing of, 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 of dollars against ethics or something when, when producing, making a big purchase. Um, and uh, all, of these, all of these issues are really close to the purchase. So it's pretty go- easy to learn about food production. It's easy to find out where your food came from today, it wasn't so much 15 years ago, but a lot of retailers are, are doing a little better job with that. Um, and it's a chance to make a real impact. Uh, now the second thing I'd note is, when I started thinking about animals uh, or animal ethics and doctrine of creation theology stuff, um, one of the concerns that troubled me and troubled a lot of people I know about is, is that it just didn't seem like animals were as important as all of the very real human concerns that are out there in the world. Right? There's so much injustice out there. Um, why would I? Why would I worry about the lifespan of a chicken? Um, And this is kind of a personal thing, I'm not sure if this works for everyone, but it turned out that once I gave myself permission to care about the life of chickens and cows and pigs and and, and other animals, I found that that my heart was opened up to care for lots of things more. Like this, this practice of training myself not to ask questions about where my meat came from was a practice of training myself not to love part of God's creation.
0: Yeah, hear that. That, to me, is one of the greatest lines in what we've said so far.
1: I was not expecting this. I thought I was doing something academic. I'm an, I'm an economist. I, I was faced with an ethical dilemma. I said, okay, I need to set a good example for my community and my students. I'm thinking through these things, so I started doing so. And then it became a heart thing, and I did not, I did not anticipate that. And I think this, this actually has broad implications when we start thinking about the way our practices train us to love or not love some things that we are called to love, right? So we can create good practices that help us to love our neighbors. Even if, even if that's not our initial motivation, the training takes over after a little bit and we can all of a sudden realize we care about people that we had a hard time caring about before. Mm. And this was true for animals and the environment for me. Um, I started to realize that this isn't a competition, that the, the biggest problem I faced as a person in learning to love was not figuring out which of the many different things I was going to love and running out of like space in my heart the biggest problem was apathy Mm -hmm. and overcoming that apathy barrier and training myself that it was okay to care about these things and to give up a really good meal because it was important to me to to be concerned with the well-being of creation and my neighbors and all of this that that opened up um a space i think for the holy spirit to work and say mcmullen you gotta live differently you gotta just call you by your last name when the spirit has given me uh, <laughs> it's, a pointed message yeah, it's it McMullen. isn't Steve. <laughs> anyway and uh and, and and so i started to learn to listen right okay. was that okay I, I can actually care about these things and i can make a hard choice a um, hard choice in the moment like I'm not going to order the steak even though it's delicious I'm going to order something else and then you build a good habit and you realize um, that once you free yourself from the, from the habit that was getting in the way of, 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 the, um, of the concern for others then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're freeing up space in your heart
0: now you're preaching spiritual disciplines.
1: Right, so I, I am except that I'm not sure that I am because I'm not trained to know if this fits, but it sound it feels to me kind of like fasting.
0: Yeah, right? no yeah right. because the core of what I'm hearing you're saying and this is the core of what we talk about when we talk about the Sabbath, when we talk about meditation, when we talk about prayer, you know whether you practice it for five minutes or for an hour, that intentional space bleeds over into everything. Yeah. So when you learn, for example, the Sabbath to take one day a week off, It reprioritizes the other six days when you're in them. It reshapes all of that. And what I hear you sort of saying is that that for some of these issues, whether we're talking about animals and environment or justice issues, local or international, there's a sense in which really we may not have the answers to tell people, hey, go buy this and don't buy that. Eat this, don't eat that necessarily. But there's a sense of saying the first step truly and and it's almost like the holy spirit as you said guys the rest is to break out of the habits that don't ask the questions that don't create the space to even consider how might this affect someone how might it affect me how might it affect you know those to me seem to be the beginning questions where we say i'm at least going to become more aware now
1: yeah i think that's exactly right um and i'm i'm sure that this is true for a whole lot of areas of concern. Um, it's not just the environment. That happens to be the one I know about, right? Um, but I, I am certain there's a lot of work for the spirit left to do in my life in this way, and I, I anticipate having to come to terms with the fact that, that I've been ignoring something that's important, right? Every, um, at least every couple of years, um, if I'm not rethinking the way I live, I feel like I'm probably not doing it right. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's that's a dangerous practice, right. We don't like to, to make those changes. Um, but it's totally rewarding in, in the long run, in your spiritual walk, in terms of building community. Um, and maybe someday I'll change my mind back and I'll say, you know what? I was really concerned with this for a thing for a decade and now I realize it wasn't the big problem I thought it was. but you know in the meantime, I've probably gained a whole lot of maturity. Uh, spiritual maturity in, in the meantime and so that's that's worth a whole lot of little moments of self-sacrifice if that's what it comes to yeah um, you know we can we can we can rethink the economics and you know rebuild the system in a different way so that the choices make a different impact but um, and I, I would also note that sometimes there's not a lot we can do um, there's there's an example that's that's gotten a lot of uh, a lot of press uh, a lot of our electronics have these minerals in it um, uh, I wrote it down here. What was it? Cobalt. Um,
0: oh, and the way it's being mined Like the mining
1: of cobalt. Is like it, it's essential for a whole lot of our consumer electronics. I, you know, yeah. So the cobalt's being mined in ways that support slavery and abuse and lots of violence. And it's just more horrific the closer you look. And and so I thought, all right, how do I get out of the cobalt business? My wife and I had this conversation you know, the other day. <laughs> and shoot, I mean, you've you got to withdraw from modern life totally. I mean, just... <laughs> It's we're gonna a, go. We're all gonna go Amish. Uh, told totally, we Really, would have to. And um, and maybe this is just a weakness on my part, but I'm just not prepared to take that step. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, it probably means that you have not decided to take that <laughs> yeah, step. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, uh, yeah. Um, So I don't. I'm not sure if there's an easy answer there. I, mm. I'm concerned. I the the more I read the you know as I said the uglier it is and. Um, and I, but I don't think I'm not sure that a personal consumption choice is, is relevant there, only because there isn't an alternative. When we can easily choose something different and avoid the problem, then it's easy to make the consumer a choice. In a case like this, where it would involve sort of opting out of all of modern life, really, um,
0: and there's costs to that too. There's then. huge
1: cost to that. Um, most of us go to work every day, and we don't have a choice to do that, right? Well then, then the solution probably isn't a consumption choice. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's international relations. Maybe it's missions work on the field in that in that in that part of the, the world, um, right? These all of these other avenues are super important too. Um, so I don't want to feel like I don't want I don't want to sound like consumer activism is the way we should be Christians. Sure. Right? Because like the Great Commission is pretty clear. Right? There's a, there's a lot of work to do that isn't. Buying organic vegetables, right, um, or something of the sort. There's a lot of problems that this what this isn't going to solve, right. But it seems to me still
0: that even the awareness of it in that issue, even if you conclude, hey, I can't not have a phone these days, because even then, you know, we talk about economics, marginal cost, marginal oh, benefit, right? The marginal cost would be so high to to that type of change for for most of us. But I think it softens your heart and awakens you to the spirit to say the fact that you ask the question almost to me guarantees that's not the only place you're asking the question. And yeah. when you're asking it of more and more things, you're going to find ways to say, now here is a place I can change what I'm doing. Or here's yeah. a different person I can vote for. Or here's a different way I can spend my time or my money or my career or whatever it is. That to me, when 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 that's the habit, because that's what this is all about, right? We're not talking about yeah. one-off actions. We're talking about life transformation. Yeah. It seems to me that you're gonna be more aware across your life. And that was really the wake up for me was, hey, you know what, there's some things maybe I can't change, but the more aware I am, the more God will show me the places
1: that I can. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, that's, that's exactly right. That's, that's certainly the way it's worked in my life.
0: So if we were, as we're kind of coming close to the end, um, what would you, if you had like a statement or two to leave people with, either a challenge or an encouragement or a mix, what, what maybe might that be?
1: You know, I, I tell people not to try to not to try to do everything at once, um, and that's partly because I work with college students who are usually really gung ho about yeah. changing the world. I remember that
0: you jump all in when you're in you know, college. know, it's, it's yeah. all in.
1: Or I have, I mean, there's plenty of college students that just do not care. About yeah. just, <laughs> sure. you know, whatever. Um, but it's it's one or the other, and and so um, there's a whole lot of people that that when they're young and, and passionate and uh, and they have a lot of freedom to do weird things, they try to do everything and then they burn out mm. and they do nothing. As if like, if you're not changing the world, why even try? Which, mm. which psychologically probably makes more sense than it does logically, but that's the way people operate. And so what I would recommend to people always is to pick one area of your life that is that you have a particular passion for, maybe a particular ability to, to think about carefully, um, and also some latitude for change. And, and for each of us, that's going to be a little bit different. Uh, for a lot of us, it's food in one dimension or another, but it, but it could be other things. It could be something about your workplace, or if you're an employer, it could be something about uh, the workplace you're creating for others, um, uh, whatever. But pick that area um, and delve into it uh, and try to do better a little bit at a time. Um, and because because over, trying to trying to change the world all at once is, is daunting and not sustainable. And, and so, you know, small steps make a big difference. And particularly when we're forming habits and changing our hearts and minds and these kinds of things. And you can do, I think, better long-term change by being careful about small things one at a time than Opting for a sort of a complete countercultural, sort of revolutionary kind of approach. Um, now that probably says something about the way I view the world as well. But I—that's uh, I think what I see in people around me.
0: Oh, that's excellent. And yeah, kind of having that open heart, open ears, yeah. open eyes to see and to hear mm-hmm. how we are impacting others. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. If people wanted to read more of your work or, uh, well, first, so where can people find you? Where can people find your work? And then also as uh, to make it even more complicated, if there was a few books or resources you would even recommend, whether or not you're a part of it or not, to say, hey, everyone should watch this or read this because it'll be helpful if you can answer kind of both of those things.
1: Yeah, those are great questions. Um, so, I mean, who? Uh, where do you find me? I, I teach at Hope College, and Hope College likes to market Um us, uh, so you can find me on the webpage. But um, I also have a, a website that houses like just about everything I've ever written, and it's com. I think. I'll
0: put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, all right, so you can link to that, and it's got big pictures of me, so you know my, my face looks like that <laughs> awkwardly. Um, anyway, so there's that. And then um, uh, in terms of my writing, it's all up there, and it's a lot of it's economics. I write about lots of different things because I'm curious about everything. Uh, the thing is like on the, on the stuff that we've been um, – talking about here, the things that I would, I'd point people toward. One of the most popular Christian books about this kind of habit formation stuff was Jamie Smith's You Are What You Love. I love Jamie Smith. Yeah, you know, and he's a friend of mine uh, from when I worked at Calvin. Um, But he really, he really writes very well. And my thinking about the way the world around us can create habits, which in turn changes our heart and our spiritual walk, a lot of that comes straight from Jamie Smith. So it's James K. A. Smith. The, I think the mo- the first book to start with is You Are What You Love. Um, he's got a whole longer, more academic series if you really love that. Desiring the Kingdom. More, uh, desiring the Kingdom, Imagining the Kingdom, Awaiting the King, yeah. um, all, all excellent. Uh, in terms of um, thinking about animals as Christians, uh, I'd recommend the work of my friend Matt Holteman, also a philosophy professor at Calvin. He's the one that, um, through sheer force of will and personality started to change my mind on some of these things. Um, He's written some really nice approachable um, pieces about how we should think as Christians, uh, about all the ways in which the way we eat is interacted with other stuff we care about. Uh, And I can get you a link, Phil, and you 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 can put that up as well. Um, and that's probably, that's probably good enough. I'll think of a bunch of other things as soon as we shut this down. Yeah, I'll,
0: well, I'll throw them all uh, on the show notes. Okay. That awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's really good to see you again. Hey friends, Phil again. I just wanted to say thank you so much again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Steve McMullen, that it encouraged you, challenged you, and that you can go about your week with greater awareness. If you enjoyed this episode, we would definitely ask you to please leave us a review on iTunes. That's a huge blessing to us. And as always, you can find us on RuaSpace.com and at RuaSpace on all of your major social media apps. Brothers and sisters, enjoy the rest of your day. Grace and peace be with you.